I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I'm up in Edinburgh with Ben James, investment specialist on the US equity team here at Bailey Gifford, and we're going to talk a bit about the Bailey Gifford American Fund. Ben, thank you for your time. Darius, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming up. So, busy year, 2022 into 23. Let's touch a little bit on the US economy. A very well telegraphed recession um, with US inverted yield curve. What do you think? And what do you think about inflation? Yeah, um, thanks, Darius. Well, you know, as you know, we're long term bottom up stock pickers and um, we don't really have an edge in uh, versus any other investment manager in predicting what's going to happen in the next year uh, or 18 months. Um, predicting such things are notoriously difficult. Um, and not where we focus. That's not our strength. No. Uh, but what, what I can say is that it seems clear that um, the Fed, uh, Powell at the Fed, is, is going to continue to uh, focus on taming inflation, whatever it takes. Yeah. So I don't know whether that will lead to a hard or soft landing, um, but it, they need to control that. That is the, the greater evil. Um, um, that said, um, uh, our focus, we think, is um, uh, more important for a, on a five to ten year view. You know, we don't know what what the economy will do in the next year um, or, or eighteen months, um, but we do know that the companies that we're looking at um, first and foremost are resilient. Um, well, you know, net cash in the portfolio, um, two thirds, seventy percent roughly, are you know self funding, free cash flow positive or profitable, and those that uh, those that aren't uh, are well cashed. Um, we have a small tail of companies which might be more affected by a, by a weaker economy, but that's why they're small in the portfolio. Um, but we know that those companies that can grow their revenues or their their profits in the top you know quintile over any five year period will deliver the top returns. So. That's what we're focusing on, and uh, I can't remember who said it, but um, that you you make most your most money in a bear market. You just don't realise it uh, at the time, and we're we're seeing companies um, with structural advantages and plenty of cash and still self funding being able to sort of deepen their competitive advantage, um, which you know has parallels to what we saw in two thousand and eight and two thousand and one, where the exceptional companies. Um, actually uh, had comparative advantage and were able to, 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 to deepen their advantages and, and accelerate out of, of a recession. So that's the area that we're focusing on. We don't know if it's going to be a recession or not. And if it is, the companies that we hold are exposed to long-term structural trends and, and are, are, are resilient financially. So, you know, on the American desk, US equity desk at Bailey Gifford, you are unashamedly growth structural and high growth yeah. investors I don't need to tell you that that was a more challenged environment for that strategy, that factor, investing factor. Uh, really tough year, 2022, and maybe just the, the last bit of 21. How do you keep going? What, 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 what drives you to, to, to keep going and investing consistently in that style in the face of a very challenging headwind in the last 12 months? Yeah, so first and foremost, I'd like to thank anyone listening who is invested in the American Fund uh, or some of our other products that, you know, we don't take what's happened over the last year lightly and, and appreciate how challenging it's been for, for you as our clients and investors in our in our funds. Um, it's been very challenging. Um, I think there's a number of factors that you can look at here. But, you know, first of all, there's a shift in environment. 
So rising inflation means rising interest rates, which um, uh, hits the discount rate that people use to value stocks in the short term and therefore um, higher growth stocks like ones we invest in, whose profits are far, further into the future than average, will, will, um, will be discounted and their share price comes down. We also think there was a general sentiment uh, shift, um, uh, which is hard to, 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 to manage for, if, if that's the right way to, to describe Probably it. Probably hard to quantify. Yeah, well. uh, and, and I think given our, uh, we were chatting about this beforehand, I think given our long-term approach and trying to find companies that will grow at least two and a half times over the next five years with a, with a better than average chance, when stock prices are moving so quickly and so violently, in both directions, bear in mind, this is a sort of three-year yep. uh, story we're talking about from the beginning of the pandemic and the first and second and third order effects from that. Um, we've been constantly revaluing the upside. Uh, so on the way up, uh, you revalue, can it still do two and a half times? And if it can, then we're likely to let it run because it's not that the, um, uh, the, it's not that the share price is, has, has peaked, it's actually the opportunity may have increased faster than the share price. And so we, we saw that with the likes of, of Moderna and we thought, uh, which is the vaccine maker, and with the likes of Shopify, which is the e-commerce um, a platform that helps merchants get online. You know, Shopify saw its uh, merchants um, more than double to, to north of 2 million, saw its gross merchandise volume grow 3x and saw its profits grow by 14,000% over the two-year period. Um, but it just so happened that it then also decided to reinvest all those profits uh, as it hit an air pocket um, after uh, after uh, after the pandemic, and then the rising interest rates sort of was a double whammy. So back to your question, it, it's hard, but you stick to your philosophy and process, and you stick to the upside, and you try to avoid making knee-jerk reactions to the noise and the sentiment in the market, and focus on the company fundamentals uh, and the long-term opportunity. So are the companies resilient? Yes. Is the opportunity still intact? Yes then our edge is in holding on and riding out the volatility of these companies. And it, it is painful, but that we think it's the right thing to do for the next five to 10 years. Okay. And any sort of question at a market level is always sort of relevant for, for, for the likes of yourselves, but you're, you're invested in US equities. Why should our listeners either hold or potentially even add to US, equ- US large cap equities mm given the difficult year that they had in 2022, but also they were coming at an index level from from high valuations versus its own history, still to reasonable high valuations, whereas if we wanted to look at other markets, we can actually see markets trading at discounts on their long-term average. I don't want to tell anyone how to build their portfolio, but um, you know, there's a difference between the way we invest and the, the uh, passive S&P 500 tracker uh, and uh, how that will behave. Essentially, I think there's a role for both active and passive investing in the US in people's portfolios, but it just depends on your, your risk tolerance and what you're trying to get. Um, I do think um, in general that the US as a country generates the most and best growth companies out there. It's the most competitive, it's the most innovative, it's the deepest market in the world. So Personally speaking, and this is not advice, uh, I would hope that um, everyone has a small exposure at least to some of the most innovative US um, large cap growth companies. Um, but what we do is, is try and find 30 to 50 of the best growth companies. We call them the exceptional growth companies in the US for the next five to 10 years. And a lot of them aren't 
in the index. So we're very different to the index. So if you take the S&P 500 uh, as a sort of um, uh, 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 an example of the, or um, uh, you know, as a, as a representation of the wider market, we have an overlap of about 8%. So our portfolio will behave very differently. And the reason we do that is because we're focused on the next five to 10 years of structural change and those companies driving that and exploiting that, whether that be in healthcare, um, the increased personalization of healthcare and the um, speed with which we can uh, sequence genomes and, and make targeted um, personalized medicines. And, you know, Moderna is a, is a prime example of that. But there are other companies in the portfolio like Al Nylon Pharmaceuticals, which switches off genes that make, uh, um, that make genetic diseases or create genetic diseases, or whether it's in um, uh, uh, the electrification of transport through you know, the likes of Tesla or Rivian, uh, or whether it's um, the continued shift of, of most of our commerce or economy online, whether that's advertising, um, um, buying or selling secondhand cars or, or whatever. So um, that's the areas that we're focused on. And things are happening in those spaces with disruption and um, um, the speed of technological innovation creating exponential change. And, and, and the thing with exponential change, whether that be the exponential reduction in the cost of solar or the exponential reduction in the, the cost of sequencing a human genome or the exponential speed, increase in speed of how you sequence a human genome, mean that softly, softly along comes a, a winner that disrupts a big U.S. large cap within the, within the, um, within the broader index. So that's the role that we play is like having a, a sort of hedge against a world that's changing too quickly uh, than, than most sort of conventional risk metrics um, can cope with. So they say a year is a long-term time in markets, and we're here today, four weeks into 2023. It does appear that sentiment broadly feels a little bit better um, from, from all parts of, of markets, not just US equities, but just the bond market and everything else. How, how does it feel as we're sort of... Gently into 2023, are you hearing good things from your companies or is it just those standard long-term fundamentals and maybe some compressed valuations which get you excited about mm. the year ahead? Yeah, so, I mean, a month is, is far too short a time to, um, to, to tell what's going to happen in the next five years. But, you know, given what's happened over the last year to 18 months, um, a positive start to the year is, is, is welcome. But I would say that it, it's not um, a strong indicator of, of long-term five-year-plus performance. What we're seeing when we are out meeting with the companies, which we've been doing um, a lot over the last year, uh, is, um, for the vast majority, strong operating fundamental performance uh, in the face of, of, of challenging headwinds, which is, which is fine, which is what we want to see. You know, we're not saying that we'll see the supernormal growth that we saw in 2020 or early 2021, but the companies are still growing. You know, AWS, Amazon Web Services, um, which is the cloud-based business of um, Amazon, you know, it's not growing at 30% per annum anymore. I mean, it's in the high teens. This is a, this is a roughly $100 billion revenue run rate company. If you put that on five-time sales, that's a half a billion dollar market cap company in its own right which means that the market is only ascribing another, you know, um, $800 billion to the rest of Amazon. Um, that includes its advertising business and, and prime uh, and, and media and then uh, e-commerce in general. 
So, so actually, I think uh, what we've seen specifically at the close of the year is compressed valuations in some stocks and some of the key big companies. Um, you know, Tesla's valuation was depressed. Um, it's come back quite a bit it's in January, but um, uh, others like um, uh, the Trade Desk and Shopify. Uh, the Trade Desk is a programmatic advertising platform. Uh, Shopify being the e-commerce platform, um, they, they they were they were um, they were compressed and, and may have come back a bit. But then you've got other companies which are unrelated to the cycle, unrelated to the conventional business cycle, and healthcare really falls into that. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what the interest rate is for Moderna. Um, you know what matters is can they um, continue to bring about their innovative um, mRNA based vaccines quicker than others can they combine them quicker than others and have say a combined flu COVID RSV vaccine uh, that is as if not more effective than the conventional practice of uh, uh, conventional vaccines and and can they continue to do that faster than everyone else Uh, if they can do that, it doesn't matter what the interest rate is. No. They'll continue to make money. And so there's a... You know, they have demand. Exactly. Must have demand. Yeah, products. exactly. And so there's a you know, 20 25% of the portfolio within innovative healthcare companies that are exposed to a completely different cycle uh, and, and funding sort of um, source. Um, and then you've got those disruptors who, you know, we, uh, Dave Bujanowski, one of the investment managers on the team, released a, a really interesting paper. And uh, there's a podcast of it actually on our website. Um, about the engines of growth. And we don't need the economy to be expanding for these companies, majority of these companies in the portfolio to expand. What we're focusing on is what's changing. Because when there's change in an economy, there's an opportunity. Someone, an entrepreneur or a company to come in and do something better, whether that be supply, um, um, latent demand in a better way, or there's new demand coming, so you meet it with new supply. And so uh, there are companies in, in those spaces that we're looking at that we think will you know, continue to grow whatever the weather. Perfect. Well, that's a nice segue then into a couple of final questions. We always like to not finish with a couple of stock examples, but yeah. let's do, if we can, maybe a minute on Tesla and a minute on Netflix too. Interesting stock from an investment point of view, but at least high street brand names that listeners to the Investing on the Go podcast will have heard of. Yeah. So do you want to have a go with Tesla first? Yeah, te- I mean, uh, when we were chatting before, and you were talking about Tesla being um, a Marmite stock, and it is, it is a divisive stock. You know, I think it's because of a number of reasons, not, not, not simply because people get very passionate about cars um, and they think they know cars. But look, uh, you know, te- Tesla's share price was, was weak in 2022, on the back of some outstanding share price performance in the in the years running up to that, um, part of that is highly likely to do with Elon Musk completing his takeover of Twitter and um, uh, and associated negative news flow about that. Um, but if you look at the company and its fundamentals and its operating position, it's never been stronger. So it's reached a battery surplus in September. Um, That's car batteries. Yeah, car batteries yeah. Um, in, 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 um, in, in September. And it's designed a, a tablet, a cobalt-free battery that will enable a f- further step up in vehicle capacity. Um, car production's ramping around 50% per annum, you know, and we think it can do that for a long time. Um, the main constraint, constraint to selling more cars is securing delivery capacity. Um, the Tesla semi-truck is rolling off production lines. The Cybertruck's coming. 
stationary storage, its battery storage um, business is um, ramping in earnest. Um, and, you know, had over $21 billion in cash at the end of the last quarter. Um, but what we've been doing with the company in terms of engagement has been, has been speaking to the company management uh, and the board in detail, particularly when there was the, the, uh, the, 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 the sort of press attention on, on what Musk was doing at, at Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've only been able to do that because of our 10-year-plus relationship with the company. So sat down with chairperson uh, Robin Denham to have a long discussion about, you know, whether Mr. Musk is distracted. And we've been reassured that he is as committed to Tesla as ever and that he um, remains actively involved in uh, key day-to-day decisions, but remotely, which is our experience when he was heavily involved in the ramping up of some of the SpaceX work. Um, and it's a pattern that he he has. He tends to, when he goes into these projects, uh, whatever they are, he tends to go in deep and hard and fast uh, and it takes up a lot of his time and attention, but then he steps back and brings people in that can, you know, once it's in the position that he wants it to be, um, to, uh, uh, to to sort of let it run itself. But look, focus on the fundamentals. Um, yeah, we can see it having sixty billion dollars of um, uh, EBIT uh, earnings before income uh, interest and tax in in five years' time. Um, uh, we only need a, a team sort of multiple on that EBIT uh, number f- to make a two and a half times return even from here. So we still remain very um, confident in the long-term picture for Tesla. Or maybe then just a briefer word on Netflix. Okay, briefer word on Netflix. Got the hint. Um, um, look, uh, we had some questions on Netflix um, from earlier in the year when it, it seemed that it's actually more saturated, particularly in the US than uh, than we had uh, estimated, a lot of password sharing, and uh, and there was um, a decline in subscriber growth for the yeah. first time, which is the headline thing. That That's the headline. Look at. Yeah, more more users, less users. Yeah. Now, what what that we we you know that's not we're not too worried about that in the short term. What worried us a bit more was this pivot towards advertising, and we needed to work that out. But also the the, the churn in some of its less mature markets internationally. So, a big part of our forward-looking hypothesis for Netflix is its international expansion. Of course. Becoming a global you know, TV channel, essentially. Um, we were seeing um, turnover and, and, and sort of a drop-in reduction, a drop-in subscription numbers in its, uh, its some of its less mature international markets so that weren't saturated. Yeah. And that told us that there might not be the stickiness in customers uh, when, when the cost of living increases. It's very easy to turn on Netflix. Well, guess what? If your price is increasing, it's actually quite easy to turn off. So we reduced the position size uh, um, to sort of reflect the reduction in conviction in the two and a half times case. We still think it could do it, um, but it was less likely. But we wanted the time to work through the implications of the cost of living uh, increasing, potential recessions and this advertising um, tier. And as we've worked through that and spoken with management, it's becoming clearer that actually it could, it's the second well, it's not even the second act, it's the fourth act for, for Netflix, if you think about where it started in uh, sending DVDs through your, your, yeah. your letterbox. But anyway, the point being is it's actually, um, we think, potentially another uh, accelerant or, or supportive leg for growth for the company to move into becoming one of the two or three or four global dominant um, streaming TV channels. Uh, and um, the advertising 
uh, aspect of its business can actually help people stay online and save money. So stay stay, stay as members and, and, and save money. So it plays into that uh, cost of living reduction, uh, cost of living increases and people tightening their belts a bit. So actually we remain, uh, it's one of our top 10 holdings still. So uh, we remain confident in the long-term upside there too. And then maybe if we could just have one other name, uh, new stock that, that that's exciting the team that maybe is less of a household name, Sure. Um, so, well, there, there are a number of companies within the portfolio that we've been adding to over the last um, couple of months. So we, um, one of the um, companies that we've held for seven or eight years, Abiumed, which makes heart pumps, was acquired by Johnson & Johnson at a, at a 50% premium, which was, it was a shame to see it go. But obviously, um, the company Johnson Johnson saw the value in that. And we reinvested the proceeds of that into uh, several of the companies uh, in the portfolio that we think have been beaten up. Uh, and that includes Tesla, includes um, Shopify, includes the trade desk. Um, um, but I think, I think the, the areas of, 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 of real excitement for us are quite broad. But one I would focus on is the ongoing digitization of, of our economy um, and the shift to the cloud. So companies like Snowflake and HashiCorp uh, and Datadog, these are companies which, um, uh, you know, in layperson's terms, provide the infrastructure and help companies run their business from the cloud. So essentially, instead of having computers in your office, uh, which is your database, you outsource it all and you pay a subscription to a company and you host it on the cloud. Now, um, it's, it's a very different environment to um, in the past where, um, uh, you know, you've been buying stuff to make projects, whereas actually you can do all this as, through a subscription on the cloud. And it actually helps you save money, makes you more efficient. And in an era where, you know, money is, is less free um, than it has been and where uh, chief investment officers and, and so on and, and are being asked to do more with less, the flexibility that the cloud computing companies give you to be able to continue to compete and, and adapt to you know, rapidly changing environments uh, at a relatively low cost to having all your hardware and, uh, uh, on-prem uh, is really exciting. And so we think that there's a sort of anti-fragile um, um, uh, quality to these companies and they're providing a, a, a sort of disruptive engine of growth or replacement engine of growth rather than needing the economy to expand. So I'd say those companies are, are really quite exciting. Ben, thank you very much for your time this afternoon and thanks for taking us through Bailey Gifford's approach to US equities and, you know, talking openly about a number of interesting stocks. Now, listen, if you'd like more information on the Bailey Gifford American Fund, please do visit fundcaliber.com and please do like and subscribe the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.